it again. And welcome. It's really wonderful to see you all in uh, all in your in your boxes, in your rooms, in your homes, wherever you are. Um, thank you for uh, coming together this morning. The origin of my talk today is a phrase that I believe I heard uh, in a Dharma talk that Laura gave. Uh, she doesn't specifically remember saying this, but I, I did write it down. And that phrase is stillness manifests as care. And I, I'm not usually one to write down notes during Dharma talks or, or anything. So it's, uh, remarkable that I wrote it down. And this was, I think, a few months ago. And I wrote it down. I think I was just kind of caught by the, the beauty of it. Stillness manifests as care. I didn't really think too much about it at the time. But I was like, yeah, that, that's probably right. And, but I didn't really... Take it in, but it it keeps it kept returning into my consciousness uh, throughout all these weeks, and then especially now since I've moved to the monastery, it's kind of become more alive. And so, in this uh, talk, I I just want to kind of turn this phrase over a few times and. Uh, share some of the ways I've been thinking about it and I've kind of been treating it as a koan. Stillness manifests as care. Does it? And if it does, how does it do that? How? It's not immediately intuitive to me that something like stillness would become or manifest as care. So I became really curious about this. I've been up here in the, at the monastery for a month, exactly a month. And, you know, it's a small, you know, it's an intimate community up here of 12 people. And so I think the maybe the first kind of taste of this, of this phrase, stillness manifest, manifests as care, I think really kind of came to life in the life in the monastery where, you know, the effects of your speech and your actions, uh, you know, kind of rip, you can watch them ripple through the community in real time. And, um, which is both kind of wondrous to see and humbling to see. And it became very clear that sometimes waiting just something like 30 seconds before I 
said something or did something could mean the difference between between harm and not harming. So like being still in that way, um, I started to notice just kind of an immediate effect of that. Um, and of course, noticing all the ways I didn't do that, that I wasn't still and I said or did something and watch the ripple go around. Even something like sending emails, you know, can I take the time before I hit send to really maybe consider the words that I'm writing a little more carefully uh, before I can't take them back. So I think it's this this kind of stillness has been uh, it's very kind of practical, <laughs> um, kind of an immediate, you know, moral effect. Um, so I guess the first thing I'd like to do is, is say what um, I mean by stillness. Not, can't remember exactly the context in which Laura brought it up. But in, in the way I've been thinking about it, I'm actually talking about stillness with my, with my karmic mind, with my conditioning. So um, my conditioning rises up. And, you know, there's a choice there to kind of be propelled by it or to stop and see it. Maybe it rises up, maybe it subsides, maybe it doesn't subside for a while. But to actually bring some measure of uh, not moving to that moment. And so that's the way I'm going to really be talking about it in this talk is... Uh, stillness in the presence of our, you know, karmic life. And so that means that this stillness is not, uh, is not static or inert, but, um, or non-responsive. It's dynamic and it's alive in the midst of all that. It's being with all of that. So um, this stillness is um, very much alive and awake. So stillness manifesting as care. As I've been, you know, turning the phrase over and poking it and prodding it, I really became curious what are what's involved in this this alchemy between stillness and care for humans. And I'd like to talk about four um, qualities or activities which I see as involved in 
that um, in that manifestation that that support that manifestation or that are uh, realized in the, in that manifestation. And these uh, four things, four qualities, are uh, confession and repentance. That's one. Uh, second is appreciation um, and or maybe wonder, you could say. Third is gratitude and fourth, compassion. And by bringing these four up, I don't want to, I don't consider them stages um, or not even all essential in, in any given moment. They might all not all be there in one moment of still care, you could say. They interweave like the, the paramitas, you could say. And another thing that I've come to appreciate being in the monastery is the, you know, the kind of nuance that can be present in, uh, in any kind of karmic arising. Um, for an example, I could be washing the dishes and I might actually begin washing the dishes with maybe uh, some resentment. Maybe not, not completely filled with resentment, but a little bit of resentment. And then over the course of the 10 minutes that I'm working washing the dishes, I get, you know, I get into it, I'm working with others, I kind of lose myself in the activity and the resentment melts away. And now I'm like washing the dishes for the benefit of all beings. And I'm just like completely devoted to it. Or the, or the other, other way could happen. I could be totally like energized about washing the dishes. And then something happens, something comes up. And now I'm constricted and tight. And now I resent the dishes and the people I'm working with. <laughs> Usually in lots of dishes. <laughs> um, so, I, but these, these things like are right ne next to each other. They're not. Um, so I think all like these qualities, these activities of confession and appreciation and gratitude are can be there in in different combinations, different concentrations. And so I'm. I'm They seem to be kind of four facets of this uh, jewel of still care or care and stillness. So first I'll talk about uh, confession and repentance. And again, I think not, not considering merely just confession as, you know, an act that we do in one moment, but more as a kind of an ongoing orientation of the heart towards our conditioning. I 
think I, I talked about that before in a previous talk. Um, you know, in the mornings here, we chant, you know, the repentance verse, all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Which is kind of an incredible uh, thing to say. You know, in one sense, we're acknowledging kind of the unknown depths of, uh, of our conditioning. Of, well, of my conditioning. We, we use I, all my ancient twisted karma. So an acknowledgement that I'll never know the full depths of how you know, this body and mind has been conditioned across this life, across generations. Or even how, you know, a karmic pattern that, you know, I might feel, oh, I've clarified this. In the next moment, it'll arise again. So it is this kind of act of confession and repentance you know, it cultivates humility, certainly. But it's also, I think, in a way, almost, uh, you could say, preemptively preparing the ground for, uh, for us to receive our arising karma uh, with uprightness. We're kind of avowing, which means both to acknowledge and to uh, own, to take responsibility for. Even though I don't know the depths of its origins, it'll, it, it arises and I can take responsibility for that. So making this vow in the morning is kind of um, setting in motion this intention to Meet, uh, meet conditioning with the kind of steady resolve that I'm going to be kind of spacious and uh, responsible, spacious and responsible both. And so I think that this activity of of confession, you know, whether it's in the context of a ceremony or whether it's with another person, there is, uh, you're engaging this opportunity to bring, bring your karma into, into view. And so that, that creates the space to, um, certainly care for it and uh, care for how that karma is going to be in the world. And so in your relationships with others, in a community, uh, or, you know, in your home.
So that's one. Trying to get a sense of my time left. Uh, no, I'm okay. The next, uh, we're going to talk about appreciation. I actually wrote down four, not synonyms, but uh, maybe uh, gradations of this quality. I wrote down acceptance, appreciation, wonder, and awe. I think, you know, certainly conceiving of something, uh, uh, conceiving something like all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, that's kind of an awesome thing to consider, the vastness and the unknowability of all that. So an appreciation of all the conditions that have conspired to bring me to this moment. Like really taking that in um, to me is, is awesome and wondrous in one way. The other thing that you know has become very clear, you know, leaving Brooklyn and coming to the monastery, is that condition. You know, my conditioning hasn't. You know, it's not some like I've gone through some miraculous transformation by leaving the city and entering the monastery. The same conditioning comes up. Uh, it's just coming up in a different context, in a different container. Um, so that's also, uh, I think, wondrous and uh, humbling to see. You know, case 89 of the Book of Serenity, which Kosin's uh, talked about before, where it talks about the grass say the grass, the myriad things, or, you know, our karmic horizons. They're boundless inside the gate of the monastery and outside the gate. And later on in that verse, it says, look, look, how many kinds. It's almost like amazing, the proliferation of my karma. It really is Amazing. Uh, sometimes in its relentlessness. And also, though, as we become still with it and say familiar with it, I have a deeper appreciation for all the ways this karma has supported me, brought me to this moment. Doesn't mean I like it, but it's, it's been doing what it's been doing for a reason all this time. 
So there is a way I can begin to certainly accept it um, and even appreciate these various um, these various karmic lineages that are living in me. This is me in this moment. So there's uh, an acceptance and and an appreciation for who I've come to be in this moment, karma and all. And that supports uh, me caring for it. Again, I'm like, okay, I can, now that I have, I can see it, now that I can uh, bring it into view, I have an opportunity to, uh, and even in the appreciation of it, I can actually say, you know, as Tia would say, thank you very much. You've done a good job for me all these years. At this moment, I can, I don't have to be propelled by that same energy. I can be there for it and be still. And in that moment, let the rest of the world in. Dogen says, carrying yourself forward and meeting the myriad things is delusion. Let the myriad things come forth and realize themselves as awakening. So that, that turn, and I think that turn helps or is facilitated by um, an appreciation of all these myriad things that are arising even the myriad things that I would like to grab onto and consider a self. I can even appreciate those in that, in that moment of arising. Next, gratitude. In a way, this gratitude Maybe grows out of this appreciation, but for me, this gratitude is is not. You know, it's not gratitude. You know that this happened to me as a child, or gratitude for uh, this trauma. But more that, like gratitude, that my process of working with the karma has clarified a path. So I actually, there was some meeting recently at the end, we were sharing what we were grateful for. And I actually said, I'm grateful for my karma, which I've never, ever said that before. And I think when I think back on what I was actually feeling in that moment, it wasn't that that sentence was shorthand for, I'm actually grateful that my karma has illuminated a path for me to practice. So it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't like I'm adoring my karma. It was a gratitude that was born out of uh, of working with it. And I think this gratitude is this kind of gratitude is where the for me the the taking refuge gets like empowered. We're grateful for our teachers, our ancestors, grateful for the Dharma, and grateful for everybody that's practicing on this path with me. And so this this stillness has a dimension of gratitude in it that further emboldens an attitude of care. Finally, compassion. Compassion is this, this, compassion is part of the nature of the stillness. It's part of its activity. But I think we also enter into, um, we participate in that compassion by being upright and still with our conditioning. And, you know, through that process, you know, we you know, experience the three marks. You know, we see that this conditioning is impermanent, that's conditioned, that it's not our self. And we see all the myriad ways uh, we've suffered or we cause others to suffer because of it. So we begin to taste the truth of these three marks. And I think these, when we taste them, it's not, it's not just as they relate to me, but we, it's as they, we see these three marks in the world, in others. I think the tasting of that compassion just arises. We have compassion for our, ourselves, and then that compassion naturally extends outwards. So how do we practice the stillness? In the yoga char class, we've been talking about um, you know, how do you And we talk about a practice that's non-conceptual. Talking here about a stillness that um, words can't really arrive at. And of course, in our tradition, we have shikantaza, which is uh, a style of meditation that we practice, just sitting. And usually when people come for zazen instruction, 
we usually, we usually don't teach shikantaza in the beginning. We allude to it, but we, usually we encourage people to focus on their breath and um, as a way to help settle the mind to start so that there can be uh, the beginning of a capacity to allow things to arise as they are. In the beginning, the mind is, is moving, grasping at objects here and there. So in the beginning, we just uh, we encourage people just to settle. And then shikantaza, you know, we kind of get infused in it over time. Dobin will give us clues, gives us clues how to practice this. He'll say things like, how do you think not thinking, non-thinking? There's a, there's a guide there that can describes a way how we can be with a thought that arises without grabbing onto it without pushing it away. And the thought is as it is. So the thoughts, this onrush of thoughts and we can be still in the midst of the onrush. And practice this at home, in any, uh, any variety of ways, by giving ourselves fully to the activity that we're doing, and noticing the way the mind wants to narrate the activity. Can we immerse ourselves in brushing the teeth, cleaning the house, going for a walk. Can we use all those things as, what do we say in the admonitions? Use, use them as vehicles for realizing the stillness. I remember the line. Yes, using all these things as ways to abide in the mind's natural stillness. Thank you. Um, stillness isn't something that has to be conjured up. It's there already. We just have an opportunity to participate in it by noticing the thoughts, noticing our concepts that come up. And opening the hand and letting them move. So all this activity happening in a moment of stillness. And here again, I've been teaching this Yogachara know, class with, with Jeffrey and you know the 
part of the gist of the Yogacara program is that everything we experience um, is mediated by consciousness. That is, a, and a consciousness that is karmically tinged, let's say. So even my experience of a tree is not really an experience of a tree out there, but an experience of my version of a tree that's been influenced by all my experiences of trees up to that point. So the tree that I'm seeing might not be the tree that you're seeing, which when we reflect on it is daunting, but also can be a source of appreciation and gratitude and compassion for all my preconceived ideas of trees. Even you know, all the myriad trees that you walk through in Prospect Park, in a way, those trees are unique to you. And so, uh, have gratitude for that, and um, and really care for those trees as they appear in your life. Again, as I've said, you know, in other contexts. We practice this you know, most uh, easily and most wondrously in community. Um, have the support of others who are working with their trees is indispensable. Great compassion emerges in the community of those who are working with those trees. Uh, I think I'd like to acknowledge right now the uh, yeah, the great challenge of. It's been more difficult to feel community since the pandemic started. People are practicing at home. Uh, and I'm deeply, deeply grateful for all the creative and generative ways that this community has found to be with each other. Um, certainly through technology, certainly with all the myriad pods and groups that have formed. Um, I think it's uh, 
amazing to see how this work is uh, is adapting, is responding to this condition. Um, so I'm very heartened um, by all of that effort that has uh, uh, been aroused over the past nine months. So very, very grateful for, for all of that. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.